because I dunk the basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kid. Hello and welcome to Dear Adam Silver, a podcast about sports, art, and the creative space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson and I am your host. And today we have the second part of my conversation with Abdi Farah. Um, where we both just kind of dove into the first couple weeks of the NBA and some of our thoughts so far, some of our um, the things we're excited about, some of the things we're annoyed about, maybe some of the things that both of us are already regretting saying. I'm not sure. Um, but yes, this is just the second part of that podcast. I also thought today that I would actually read the letter that I received from uh, in response to sending my letters to Adam Silver. Uh, as has been talked about in the past two episodes, I received a response. And I thought that I might read that out loud today based on some encouragement I got to share it. Um, So here we go. Dear Miss Smithson, thank you for sharing Dear Adam Silver with Commissioner Silver. We appreciate your creativity and the effort you put into turning your thoughtful letters into artwork. You might be interested to know that positively impacting the communities where we work, live, and play is a core value of the NBA, and the league supports the rights of players to speak out on issues that they care about. The commissioner sent a memo to players in 2017 reminding them about the league rule that they stand for the national anthem, a rule that has been in place for more than 30 years. He further let them know the league would work with the players so that they could have the greatest possible social impact. Thanks again for taking the time to share your work, and we wish you continued success. Sincerely, Bill, NBA Fan Relations. So I might have gotten his name wrong, Bill's name wrong, on the last episode, so sorry about that. Um, But I just wanted to share sort of the response that I got from sending my cyanotypes to Adam Silver. And yeah, that's kind of where, that's where we're at right now, so I feel like... Their response has put the ball back in my court, every pun intended, so now I am just trying to figure out what my next move is. Um, so it's not over yet, but we'll see uh, how how we can continue this conversation, how I can continue the conversation with Adam Silver. So thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Abdi, and please, please, please do not forget to rate and review the podcast every little bit helps. My podcast is now available on all sorts of platforms that it wasn't available on before. Um, and yep, I'm looking for sponsors. This episode is brought to you by French fries and chocolate milkshakes. Just kidding. Even though those are my dream sponsors, vegan chocolate milkshakes, those are my dream sponsors. Um, but yes, I, I'm hoping to, to have other, you know, people participate in, in the podcast um, uh, as sponsors. So please rate and review. really helps out. And thanks so much for listening. Okay, here we go. Yeah, I just thought maybe we can just jump into the NBA a little bit. I mean, I feel like too many, too many takes um, uh, too early in the season might not be cute later on. But I was just thinking... Oh, yeah, probably we, not. <laughs> we could... Um, discuss your newfound uh, life as a Pelicans season ticket holder um, and how that's been going. <laughs> and yeah, just any of your, your thoughts on the first couple weeks. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, it's interesting. I'm not sure if this was always the case, but as I've gotten more into just basketball and listening to kind of basketball podcasts and sports talk radio and ESPN and all that, was this always the case that people would talk about a season like so early into it? Like it's... It's funny, like everyone, like the Warriors are dead, like mm-hmm. this team's going to the championship, <laughs> this team's doing well. And meanwhile, it's been like four games. So a team that's two and two right now, like who knows what they're going to be, or a team that's 0 4 could literally win four straight games and just be back in the mix. Like right. it's so early in the season. That said, I can do the same <laughs> thing everyone else is doing and like make terrible assessments and predictions four games in it's well, funny yeah. um i've all i've always been a, a mike conley fan he's like this really underrated great player and i think yeah. i think we were i think we were the same age i think him in my brain him and lou williams are the two players that were like class of 2005 mm. from high school which was my class in high school um so i like have a special place in my heart for those two players yeah uh, and like everyone was writing Mike Conley off three games into the season, like, oh, is he over the hill? Is this gonna work with Utah? He lost his like, shot. Yeah, is he lost his shot? The next game he has like twenty nine and twelve. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, we're, we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's such quick takes, um, but it has been kind of a fun start to the season. Other than the sad news, I, I'm just a big. I'm not like the biggest Warriors. I do like the Warriors, but I mean, obviously once they became America's darlings, I wasn't like trying to be the next person on that bandwagon, but Mm -hmm. I have always been a Steph Curry fan. Um, So it does kind of suck for him to, like everyone, everyone's always thinking about the long-term projection. I'm like, oh, okay. So now they can fully lean into tanking and they'll get a good draft pick (laughs) and all of this stuff. But it's like, okay, but, like one of the best players of this generation is just going to miss kind of the same thing with Durant. I mean, Durant's a, a stranger and like, I don't always agree with the stuff he says, but I love watching him play basketball. Um, so it kind of stinks that Curry, Durant, Thompson are all probably not touching the court for the rest of the season. Right. Um, yeah. Those are like three of the top 20 players in the league. That kind of stinks. Um, and then, who knows who else might go down. <laughs> it's like only a week into the season. And we already know those two players aren't playing. Um, other than that, I really do enjoy, I think the league is super wide open this year. Yes. I don't really know who I feel like you can turn on a game any night and it's probably going to be a pretty decent game unless you're watching. Like I have no desire to watch the Charlotte Hornets. That's about it. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Just, I mean, wow, I just like yeah. look at their roster. And I'm just like, I'm not interested in any of these players. Right. Uh, but every other team, there's at least one or two guys that I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'll chime in. Like see what they're, see what like Bradley Beal is doing on the wizards or like, see what like Devin Booker or somebody's doing on the Suns. Like mm-hmm. these teams that, probably aren't going to end with a great record, but they have a handful of good players is pretty fun. Um, so I have really enjoyed just how 
overall competent the league seems to be. I feel like most teams can kind of win on any given night. Yeah, I think that that's exciting yeah. too. I was saying that last night when I was watching the Lakers and the Mavericks play, and it was such a good game. And I was yeah. like, this is exciting. I mean, I feel like it's really, it's hard to see Clay on the bench. It's hard to see the Warriors playing like they're nowhere near. I mean, it's just like it went from so high to so low so fast. There was no middle ground. This is not does not feel like when Michael Jordan left the Bulls and, like, Scottie Pippen still took them to, like, the Eastern Conference Finals or whatever. Like, this feels yeah, like a very dramatic yeah. drop-off. I mean, it, of course, it's the it's the first couple of weeks and things could turn around, like you said, but it just, it all of a sudden feels like where where's this, like, this sort of crafted, um, beautiful, flowing game that yeah there was a lot of turnovers but like it was made up for in other ways and and I just feel like we're losing the defense that was so important and and the the offense so yeah that's been really this has been very very difficult um and I don't think it's going to be handled well necessarily by both like commentators and by the team because I think it's really hard to go from the top to the bottom so quickly um yeah I mean I do trust like, I feel like even though I trust them more than most teams, I feel like Steve Kerr is just a solid, stabilizing mm-hmm. presence. And even though it's like Steph Curry's not playing, I feel like he's just one of these great leaders that's still going to be a very present um, person around the team and the young guys. So, they're going to lose a bunch of games, but I don't like, I don't fear them losing like any sort of character that they've built up in a way, if that makes sense. Yes. I, I hope that's the case. I can yeah. see Draymond getting pretty frustrated um, pretty quickly. I mean, I can imagine him being not in a great headspace if things continue this way. But, but I feel like he's a competitor in the fact that he respects the game and he realizes, like, yeah, the NBA is competitive and we're going to get, like, beat a lot because we're just not as good. Like, I don't mm-hmm. – I think we – sometimes we – it's like the players that seem the most fiery are actually the ones that are the most um, honest about the game in a way, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think uh, it would be interesting to see how Draymond – plays this year it's 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 funny because he's like he's such a player that depends on his greatness is unlocked by having other great players around him to facilitate and make them even better um he's like a really good like director (laughs) or like (laughs) and needs like good actors around him um yeah but he's not like a star himself so it's like when the thing that's so even though he's not injured, he almost is injured because the good people around him are injured. Right. Um, That's so interesting. It'll be interested. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see just kind of what season he has individually. I'm not not quite sure. Yeah, I do think that I I think that what you're saying also could connect to that. Like I think when he has something to prove, he might play harder, and this will be like a test of that as well. I mean, he already plays so hard, but it's just like being at the bottom versus being at the top or, you know, being the people who are unbeaten versus being, you know, starting off, he, he might, there might be like a more 
energy to put towards that he has to put towards winning. Um, yeah, that well, that's one of my favorite parts about the NBA is that you can play your hardest and just still be completely outmatched. The level of competition is so high. Um, I've noticed that with the Pelicans games that I've been going to as a as a season ticket holder. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I've gone to. I'm starting. I might have a little complex growing because I went to their two first home games and they lost and they started off 0-4. Mm-hmm. And then I missed the game this week against Denver and they lost. So even in like a short track record, I'm like, oh my goodness, am I the, am I the curse? Like, should I just not right. go there anymore? <laughs> Wait, so Denver <laughs> won on Wednesday, right? De- when they played in New Orleans. Yeah, no, New Orleans won. New Orleans yeah. won. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah maybe you're already just win. like ruining their season potentially, yep. <laughs> whether you go. Yeah, or it's not. like if I'm if I'm in the building, they they are they have not won, and when I'm not there, they're undefeated. So, yeah, uh, we'll, well, see, we'll see if this uh, trend proves uh, true. But yeah, let's in continue Watt, to test Pel- it. Yeah, I got to gotta keep going. I'll, I'll see if it, it proves out. But in watching the Pelicans, I'm like, they're definitely a team that I appreciate being, like having tickets to because they do come to play every night. They have so many different players that can be, they're like a team that has, 15 very professional basketball players and no mm-hmm. great basketball players. Yeah. So everyone is competent. Everyone is good. But you could just see on those first couple games that every team they played had one person who was just way better than everybody on the Pelicans. Um, so the first game we saw, it was them against Dallas. Yeah. And, and seeing Doncic and Porzingis in person – I was like, these dudes are good and they're going to be a problem. As long as they're healthy, they're going to be a problem for every team they play this year. Um, and Doncic was far and away, even in the second year. There's something about being there in person uh-huh. where you just feel it. You're just like, oh, yeah, this guy's better than everyone else in the court. And somehow that doesn't translate on TV as much. Just the like the talent kind of radiates in a really interesting way. And there was, it was a very close game, but at no point in time that I think the Pelicans were going to beat the Mavericks. (laughs) Like I I thought that they were going to win. They had a really good first quarter. The Pelicans set up like 40 points in the first quarter. But after that, it's just like, Oh, Dallas is better. And I could see that very clearly. So person and being able to feel that, sometimes does not translate. I hate to be that person being like, oh, yeah, you just got to be there. You got to gotta be there in person. No. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it's fine. There's something that, <laughs> there, there are different things that you feel about players and body language and how being able to really watch players that while they don't have the ball, which is interesting, um, seeing very much paying attention to substitution patterns and when certain coaches are putting things in and when certain coaches are taking time timeouts. Um, since there's no kind of commercials to distract you from right. like the actual gameplay, you're just way more 
cognizant of those different flows. So it's been good. I think it's going to be a long season for the Pelicans. Um, yeah, especially with just Zion not being in right now. Yeah, um, yeah everyone was kind of thinking of them as a dark horse AC playoff mm. candidate. And they do have so, such competent players. Like, I love Drew Holiday. Um, even though he's a dookie, I like J.J. Redick. Um, <laughs> I think Brandon Ingram is really good. Yes, he's been great for them. Just, yeah, but they're just not as good <laughs> as the – seventh eighth and ninth and tenth teams in the west yeah and i mean i think it i I agree that there's just been since last year like a lot of teams have have gotten better like dallas was not really in the conversation last year now dallas in the conversation so now you're not and of course maybe the warriors aren't as much in the conversation we'll see but like just factoring in the fact that some west teams got better and then like the lakers and then also a lot of the teams aren't falling off necessarily like the Blazers. They're the same, you know, and like the Nuggets, they're going to, um, they're still sort of uh, contenders and the Rockets. So it's like kind yeah, of like hard to. Yeah, like the slow and steady Spurs who will just always win. Right. But I mean, I think there is excitement and I'm feeling this as a fan of basketball rather than as a Warriors fan, but there is so much excitement because it it's like, Who's going to win tonight? And and who's going to win the championship? You know, it's like, there's just like so much. Yes, I, like I love it. And like, even just, I think just watching the game last night, it was like fun seeing LeBron work really hard against um, Luka Doncic and seeing them yeah. like go at each other. Like that's, that's like good TV. Um, and yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of potential. And so... I'm feeling that same way of kind of, yeah, I want to watch every game. Um, so then I guess you've already answered what was going to be my second question of who's your like you, uh, <laughs> team that is just you don't have time for or you can't be bothered with. And maybe that's the Hornets. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I will probably not watch any Hornets games. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll find. So, so that game, I'll probably find somebody to like take my ticket or something. Right. Um, I'm joking. I'll probably, I'll probably, <laughs> if, 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 the, if I'm free, I'll definitely be at the game. Um, I also, okay. So here I'm going to list off, or maybe you should go first. So maybe you, so the Hornets are your kind of like blah, boring team. If do you have one team that's kind of pissing you off and do you have a team that you're kind of have a crush on? Good question. I'll start with the team. I really like, I like, I kind of like the Miami Heat this year. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there, I guess there was all like the myth and the lore of the Miami Heat has kind of been in play since even before the LeBron James time there, back like the Dwayne Wade, Shaq years. Yeah. I guess that they were this like organization that had such a powerful infrastructure with Pat Riley, and like they have, so they had. Uh, I think his name is James Johnson, who's like one of their veteran players who mm-hmm. literally got suspended for showing up to like preseason camp out of shape. And they have such a like rigid, like they keep track of players' body mass and like diet and uh, have these strict training regimens. And I love that both is just, like somebody who doesn't have a lot of discipline, who likes seeing people <laughs> that do have a lot of discipline. Right. And also it's like a really great um, 
like war chant in a way of like how like to strike fear into the hearts of opponents. Like, oh man, everybody on Miami Heat has got like seven percent body fat or something like right, that. that yeah. Keep track, and they're like playing full court defense and. Jimmy Butler is there. It was just kind of like tough nosed player who it seems in free agency really liked that concept of a team as well. Mm-hmm. And there was a story before the season started that he was showing up to the practice facility at 4 a.m., which is just absolutely absurd. It's like right. at some point you're just in the day before. So why are you even doing this? But it's, <laughs> it's such a. Like, I love the posturing. I love the, like, one-upsmanship mm-hmm. of being the veteran player who's like, oh, you showed up at 7 a.m. for practice that starts at 10 a.m.? I'm going to show up at 4 a.m. It's, like, psycho. So I kind of right. like that team just kind of conceptually. Um, other than – I'm trying to think of another team that's a little disappointing. I mean, I was – actually – Sacramento has been a little disappointing just because I really mm. like De'Aaron Fox and it seemed like this franchise was on the upswing last year, but it's probably going to prove that last year was the aberration and that the rule for the Sacramento Kings is just to be like a terrible franchise. So that's right. a little disappointing. I know. I was hoping that they would be... Um... Yeah, that they would just be like a more exciting team because they were exciting last year and I was hoping that was going to carry over and that this year would be better because um, it seemed like they had a lot of like hunger and they're young and it was kind of just like also like a chip on the shoulder thing. Yeah, it's not happening yeah, so far. I'm, I'm also excited. I'm, I'm, I want, I check, I usually check the box, box scores every morning when I wake up, even mm-hmm. if I haven't like watched the games. Um, literally as I'm kind of, rubbing my eyes open and uh, I check in on Orlando magic box scores. Okay. Cause I really want, I just rooting for Martel Fultz and I want him to yeah. just do And he's, he's doing pretty well. He's like in the six man role. Like right. I'll look at the box score. He's scoring like 12 or 15 points and like he'll have a spectacular dunk every now and then or a cool crazy been moving the paint. The jumper is still strange. Like, how does this person that was just swishing threes and swishing mid-range jump shots in college just completely forget how to shoot? But so that's fascinating. But I do want him to do well. Yeah. No. I mean, that's kind of been a nice. Um, it, it, yeah, I agree. It's been nice to see him kind of like on highlights and stuff like that. I'm sure there's extra attention being paid to him because of the whole debacle that, that occurred. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's nice to see him um, kind of have a fresh start and like another chance to to get to be whatever type of player he's going to be. Yeah. It's good. Yes. Sp- okay, so I'm going to start with my team that I'm kind of annoyed at <laughs> and I'm going to go probably, with that. Is it the Warriors or no? <laughs> well, I mean, a little, but I also, I mean, I want them to like, do well and like win but I just cannot I'm just a little annoyed with the Sixers and I realize I'm saying that Ooh, too. Interesting. I just okay I think it's this thing that like maybe it is they are more um uh they were their story was maybe more exciting to me when they were 
going through the process and now the process is kind of over and they are like in some cases the favorite to win the NBA championship. Um, I just don't, I am not, I just don't like, uh, it's just so hard to say. They just like sometimes are getting a little bit under my skin and Ben Simmons, like, uh, putting Carl Anthony Towns in a chokehold and then Joel Embiid like air boxing as he's leaving the shadow boxing as he's leaving the arena and just like, uh, I just feel like I'm really glad. I'm really glad you brought this up because they should have been my, I'm gonna steal your point. They should have been my annoying. Thing. Have we talked? Have we talked about my loving relationship with these current Sixers at all? Maybe I feel like I've talked with some friends I about. No, because I, yeah, I know that you like them and that you grew like that. They're kind of like yeah. Your I grew up a Sixers yeah. fan. I grew up a Sixers fan, um, but this team has been so annoying to me. Like I. I think it's like a generational divide or something where I just realize I'm so much older than Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. <laughs> and they seem like, they seem like brats to me in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like they, people love Joel Embiid. They love his personality. I find him so annoying and not annoying in that. I don't like trash talkers. Like I love a good trash talker. I don't like the trash talker who backs it up 80% of the time and not in the 20% of the time. And the 20% of the time is the most important time, like in the NBA playoffs. Right. Like, like you can't be the person who's trash talking Carl Anthony Towns or Andre Drummond. And then in the playoffs against the Raptors, you're just missing games because you're out of shape and you're like lumbering up the court. And then when y'all lose in a tight game seven, like being upset about it. It's like you lost that series because you weren't available to play. Like it wasn't because Kawhi hit a crazy four bounce shot. Y'all might've won the game. Y'all might've won the series in six games. If you had been out there to play, it's like, if you're going to be the trash talker, you got to back it up a hundred percent of the time. Like Michael Jordan or Reggie Miller or something like that. Not when it's (laughs) not when it's convenient, not when it's funny, and it it just like that level of disconnect drives me crazy. It drives me. If I was a, a real hardcore Sixers fan, Joel Embiid would annoy me. Yes, I feel similarly that, I mean, I realize that like, you know, he's great for NBA Twitter and he's great for like after game narratives and all of that. But like, I also just let, you know, it's just obviously the Sixers are better than the Timberwolves and. Joel Embiid is the way his he's spoken about, and I mean he's more dominant than Carl Anthony Towns is, and I just don't like this like putting down like the person like it's just there's already so much like sort of shit talking and like ways that we discuss like the sorry when I say we I mean the media <laughs> discuss the sure, players sure. in like a way that kind of um, puts them down or puts them in a certain place or puts them in a box. And I really just don't, it's, I just like, I'm not there for like the, the like after game, like trolling each other, like as far, and it's just also, he like loves the crowd. He loves to rile up the crowd and fucking Ben Simmons put, um, Carl Anthony Towns in a headlock. And now Ben Simmons is like seen as the peacemaker in that when he was really a chokehold. Yeah, sorry. he was like choking him out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he really, he could have also tried, I mean, if he was just trying to break up a fight, he could have also tried to go after Joel. He did not try and go after Joel. And it's just like, no. and he said it, I think he said after the game, like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm there for my teammates. And it's like, yeah, he was trying to keep 
this guy away from his teammate, not keep them from... It just... The whole thing is, like, kind of... I don't know. I just they think they're a hard team to root for now. And, of course, it's, like, you know, those, those narratives shift as, like, a team goes from being, like, the underdog to being, like, the more dominant ones. I agree. I mean, I, I didn't... Like, for me, it was, I I, no, I didn't enjoy Joel Embiid crying, but I felt that was, like, imp- it's important. I mean, I, I did, I, I enjoyed the raw emotion of of that, uh, the end to that series. But at the same time, like, I, I don't think it makes up for all this. Like, I think you need to prove yourself. Um, yeah, they, way... they have proved absolutely nothing. Like, yeah, they've never they, even yeah. been, they haven't even been to the... Like, I don't like, I, I guess I'm just old school or something like that, but, like, when Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or Shaquille O'Neal talk trash, it's backed up. It's like mm-hmm. they have rings, they have wins, they have, like, when Shaq would say, I'm the most dominant player in the NBA, it was undisputed. It was, like, he's was, like, like, stating facts, whereas Joel Embiid, is like dominating, like oh yeah, I'm in so and so's head, and then he's just getting his lunch taken by like Kawhi Leonard. It's like you can't be the person who's like about that life nine games out of ten, mm-hmm. and especially when the tenth game is in the playoffs. It, there's something. I think it's very. I hate being that person who's like oh millennials or whatever that generation is, generation Y. Like oh yeah, you haven't haven't proved anything and yeah but it's it's very instant gratification like now i'm the best player in the league because i say i'm the best player in the league it's like uh not yet not yet (laughs) no and and i mean i I think that when i when i remember um from my vhs trilogy about michael jordan's career in the nba is that he didn't really like start talking a lot of shit slash having a lot of swagger until he won a championship like when he was losing to the Cavs and the pistons he wasn't like no being yeah. super he wasn't, like, like i'm the best player in the league yeah I'm the yeah. best player in the league or like he knew that there were i mean that was like the he knew that he had to accomplish these things before he could sort of lead in a certain way and i feel like we're skipping we're skipping that step with the Sixers. They're like already like, uh, yeah, I just, I, or sorry, not all of the Sixers, but just the situation with, um, with, um, sorry, I'm getting text messages. It's distracting me. Um, I just got this new phone and I forgot to turn off the notifications or what you called. Um, I just don't think that this is, like, it's just not a fun narrative for me to, like, act like you run the league before you run the league. It's just, like, hold off for a second and just, yeah, just not. For, yeah, I also, it, makes me, it makes me root for somebody to, like, beat you again and for you to be crying again as you walk off the court in Game 7. I, like, and, want the I mean, Wolves to just, like, destroy them in the next game. And I just want them to oh, yeah, lose. Oh, yeah, because is good. Like, Joel Embiid is not better. I mean, I... If if you ask me who I'm drafting, if I got a choice between Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid, the decision is not clear. Like Joel Embiid on paper, Joel Embiid on paper is like great, but it's like, is he going to be there? Is he going to be able to play in a seven game playoff series? Is he going to be able to play at least all seven games? Is that too much to ask? Right, totally. Um, 
Yeah, so it's not some, and yeah, I like people who are the same, like, Monday through Sunday. And Joel Embiid talks trash to Carl Anthony Towns, but he ain't talking trash to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, he's not talking Mm -hmm. trash to, like, these other players who get up in him. He's not talking trash to Anthony Davis, because these players are as good if not better than him um so that is it's like it's the quintessential bully like the bully doesn't mess with people unless they know they can they have the upper hand and that is just annoying to me i agree i agree i think that it is just it's this bully situation it's this narrative that's just it's just unattractive it's not cute and i feel like some sometimes it was I mean, I'm remembering watching these games live as, like, a child, like, 22 years ago. But, like, in some ways it was, like, the Knicks playing the Bulls when the Bulls had already won championships and the Knicks were trying to, like, knock them off that pedestal. And the Knicks, like, overcompensating for not having won by being super scrappy, tough, talking all this shit. Like, Patrick Ewing being so, like, just, like, he was just, like, this, like, force, but that, like, force was not... It was not as great as the force of Michael Jordan, but he like was just, you know, wanting to, to, yeah, I don't know. It's just like a strange thing. It's like, come on, just, just wait until you've won and then you can actually talk shit. Just hold off. You know, it's like, just win. And then like, show me. Right. And it's the same. I I think it's really good to point out that he's like not talking shit to Giannis because, um, he doesn't have anything to say to him. And like, oh, it's just like, you know, who's talking shit to, when when your team is up, like they won by twenty points, it's. I mean, I'm not. I I I don't think that. I I don't think that you know that's just like a could be a combination of things. It doesn't mean that necessarily like the Sixers are always going to be better than the Wolves. It's just like, it's not attractive. And I'm sorry. Like no. I I'm gonna yeah. base some of my judgment of your team off of like your behavior. Plus, I hate fights. Like I just am one of those people who's like you know in high school when there was a fight and everyone ran towards it. Like I was like. Where can I hide? Like, I just don't want to hear people. I just like, don't like all the the fanfare around like people trying to hurt each other. Um, yeah, I don't. Mind, I don't mind people being jerks, mm-hmm. but then don't also be the guy who's crying as you walk off the court when you lose. Like, it's just yeah. Like, pick a lane. Like, either you're the tough guy or you're not. Like, don't. Be... Right. <laughs> I know it's hard to have empathy on both those levels, or or you know, because it's like. It, I do have empathy for him crying when he's leaving the court, but then it's like, yeah, you're going to just like, it's just, it's not adding up for me. And like you said, we're all full of contradictions. It's just, you're a public figure and I'm getting to base my understanding of you off of your behavior. Oh yeah. It's like, basically it's like, oh, would, would I want this person to be like, yeah, would I, would I want to be like that or have that as, have that person be my teammate or my friend? I probably would want him as a teammate just because he's really good. But, yeah, there's something I, – I agree. They are a very – I think we're in agreement on that. I, I do still – there's part of me just like my childhood like the Sixers. But, yeah, they're just bratty. I don't know. <laughs> yes, I think that bratty is a good term, especially for Ben Simmons. I think feels a little bit bratty or like, – I don't know. I just feel like he's getting away with uh, – it's just this thing about being like – swagger before you you earned it you have to earn your swagger i think is what we're in agreement on so just wait yeah for for me it was in the playoffs last year when joel Embiid had that really egregious elbow 
to the face of Jared Allen on the Nets when they were playing mm-hmm. the Nets. And him yes. and Ben Simmons were like laughing about it in right. the post game conference. I'm just like, that's just kind of shitty. Like you like almost broke this dude's jaw. Just kind of laughing at him. Like that's that's not funny. Right. No, I, I I do think that there there could be a little bit more sensitivity to just um yeah just like what's a what's appropriate or you know how we treat other players and their own struggles. I was just reading. Andre Iguodala's book, which is very good. Oh, true, yeah. Um, yeah. And he was just saying how stories. he sometimes felt that um, the media, and I mean, I, I of course knew of this before, but the way he said it was so great that just like the media is always trying to get players to like have beef with each other and to kind of like say oh. one thing out of line to then like go like Joel Embiid is laughing about Jared, uh, Jared Allen's nose. And then you take that, you know, it's like, oh, Jared Allen, like Joel Embiid was laughing about your nose. Like it's just starting issues. Of course, that's an actual issue. But like taking something that someone said and trying to like start beef with another player and I'm just thinking, like, yeah, if the media is already doing that, like, why would the players do that to each other? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just a, it's a shitty thing. And I think that there are, there's when the spotlight's on you, and it's just like Joel Embiid knows that, like, people, like a lot of the big names in basketball media, like, talk a lot of shit about the Wolves. It's hard. I don't know. I just feel like give that give Carl Anthony Towns a break like he's not on the Sixers he's like on a team that's not as as that didn't take like seven years to rebuild or whatever I don't know I just am like yeah, watch out for each other yeah I don't I don't mind people not being I so I'll contradict myself a bit I don't mind players not being like buddy buddy and mm-hmm. I do like competition and I like for players to step on the court and be like I want to win so you have to lose. I like that. Um, but there's a difference between that and realizing when you've already won and when you have the upper hand yes. and sticking your chest out and like not being that same person when you lose. You know, like if you're going to be the tough guy, be the tough guy all the time. Mm-hmm. And and don't wait until you've already won to be the tough guy. <laughs> like right. don't, yeah, there's something real kind of juvenile about that. Like if they're not buddies, that's cool with me. I don't I don't I don't need Carl Anthony Towns and Joe Allen B to be like having wine after the game. But um yeah, there's something yeah, there's just something kind of juvenile about it. Yes. What's your uh what's your what's your favorite team this year? Okay. And so I also want to mention one more thing is that I think I've noticed that more players from opposite teams are helping each other up this year. And maybe when you're watching, I I love it. Okay. (laughs) So like, I agree. Like I want some, I want some fierce competition and I want players to kind of like go at each other and there to be rivalries. I just like this, this, so, but I also like that when it comes down to it, there's like concern for each other's bodies at the end of the day, just like we were talking about before, like that it's about bodies and and the space and like everyone's kind of putting a little risking a little bit when they're playing this game and so I like when someone falls down that it's not just their own teammates helping them up but I don't know if this is true or not I've just noticed it so if you can keep an eye out for it too and let me know if you if you see some players because up until this season I really feel like unless it's egregious it's like always the player on the team that's helping uh, the other yeah, player I, up I, 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 I noticed that once or twice in one of the games 
I watched recently, and it was a surprise. Mm, good. That, that okay. almost felt like that almost felt like a like a faux pas of some kind to even reach out a hand I to know. like another player. But I think there is this understanding that all right, we're competing, but we're we're all a part of this fraternity. Like we're at the end of the day, we're we're kind of in this, and I feel like that was kind of the player I was when I was a best in my in my day as a yeah. basketball player. Um, but definitely the person who's not trying to be buddy-buddy, but will be the person to, like, give credit where credit is due. Like, if somebody hits a nice shot on they'll go, hey, nice shot. Um, or, yeah, or if somebody falls down, it'd be the person who kind of gives them a hand. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yes, okay. So, my favorite te- or my like crush team is leftover from my time in Lithuania. I think I'm feeling um a lot of feelings about Eastern Europe. So, <laughs> I am into the Mavericks. Like I can't, I like oh, like this sure. like dynamic yeah. duo like Latvia and Slovenia like sort of coming together in the middle of the United States to like you know and, the, and just like yeah, and I feel like this is an amazing this is the amazing version of like basketball kind of being exported from the United States is that there's these like dominant players coming out of um, other countries that I feel like it's, that's a healthy dynamic to some extent. And so I love that they're, and then also like kind of finding each other, even though they're from different parts of Eastern Europe, kind of like that, that seemed like that's where I, I just, I don't know if I didn't do enough or what I found out, how I found out about Kristaps going there, whether he requested it or what, but I guess in my head I chose to believe a narrative that he just like wanted to play with like Luca, and so I'm kind of I don't know if that's true or not, but and it, or wanted to play where Dirk had played this other like player from from that part of the world. So, anyways, I'm just like feeling them um, quite a bit, and then I also like Denver. I think they're exciting and they seem like a good-hearted team that has a lot of like will to win and also. Um, I love that um, Nikola Jokic is like this beautiful passer. Like he's kind of this lumbering um, sort of w- appears to be kind of like a clumsy looking guy. And he has these like beautiful, yeah. he like, or it has this beautiful vision of the court and throws these beautiful yeah, passes. Surprising genius. Surprising <laughs> genius. And like, I love that, that hidden sort of, um, I mean, it's not hidden because everyone knows, but I love that that's just like part of his skill set is being like graceful and, um, yeah, I just I I think they're exciting. I like and, both of those shirts. Yeah, yeah, just like the, and I, I think that the Nuggets are like I think that I just want them to like I like teams that like get better and better and better rather than teams that come out of nowhere. Like it wasn't as exciting to I mean, I also ended up rooting against the Cavs like the whole time LeBron was there, of course. But like I don't know if I like when one player turns everything around rather than things kind of coming up slowly. And I think the Nuggets have are like the come up slowly type of team, and I think that's kind of attractive. Yeah, it's all through the draft. Like the idea that Jokic, I mean, he's, he's had like a kind of up and down season thus far, but the yeah. idea that Jokic is an MVP candidate, but he's a second round draft pick. Like the number of people that are MVPs that were not like lottery picks is—I don't even know what that list is. It's probably one or two players in right. NBA history. It just does not happen at all. So the fact that the Nuggets could find this like underrated diamond in the rough, everybody totally. else they built through the draft, 
Uh, they took a chance. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., who was like had like terrible back problems, were able to get him lower in the draft than he probably should have been based on his talent level. I'm really hoping he becomes a player. Uh, but I definitely really like the Porzingis Doncic duo. Um, yeah. I like that. I like that Luka Doncic wears number 77. Like, what is that? Like, I've never seen that. Yeah. I've never seen that in the NBA. Like, yeah. it's like an offensive lineman football number. Um, right. Like what significance does 77 have uh, to him? That's pretty interesting to me. I think even just watching them against the Pelicans outside of Doncic and Porzingis, everybody on that team is just like a very confident, competent, tough basketball player. Um, yeah. So even when they were putting the basket, putting the ball in the basket, um, other players were just getting the job done. They have like Seth Curry who just comes off the bench and drains like three threes a game. Right. Uh, so I think that I think the Mavericks are going to be a really good team for the long run. Yeah, I um, I agree. I, I think that they it all it just feels like there's they've got a good system and it's they're it's exciting. Like I love these alley-oops to Kristaps Porzingis where he doesn't seem to leave the floor. <laughs> like, he just puts his arms up. Like, it's... I just oh, think yeah, that yeah, he's a giant. There's, like, such... It's nice seeing him play. No offense to any of the point guards that he played with in New York, and I'm actually not necessarily remembering everyone's name that he played with as point in New York, but, like, I love... Like I seeing him play with this, yes, remember. exactly. I love seeing him play with this like magical, like uber talented, incredible point guard. It's like that, like that's the sort of um, like the Lob City, like sort of just like the way you're finding each other. I don't know. It's just exciting. Um, and also, Nikola Jokic checks my Eastern European interest box. So, oh yeah, that's, a, um, that's the mood of the season. Yeah, <laughs> I just feel like even. Um, I've I've got them all kind of, so yeah, those are my two. Um, I'm kind of splitting my my crush between two teams, and we'll we'll see what happens. The other team, I'm not okay. So one more team that I'm just like not. Uh, it's just always the Rockets. Like I'm always just like annoyed by the Rockets. Like that's just the story of my yeah. life. I mean, ever since like James Harden started figuring out ways to get fouled, like every ten seconds, I'm just like oh, I cannot. So yeah, um, I, I I love Westbrook, mm-hmm. and I hope he's able to thrive yes. in that world. But I mean, bless his heart, James Harden is a fantastic basketball player. But I would hate to be on his team. Like I just mm-hmm. don't like. I just don't like that brand of basketball. Um, but I actually think I think the Westbrook uh, Harden thing is gonna work in the fact that I, I think Westbrook is this Tasmanian like whirlwind agent of chaos that's yes. just gonna be a little more activity to their offense in fun ways. Yes, so I I'm think hoping we'll be it even breaks. Yeah, I'm hoping it even breaks up the kind of monotonous way that James Harden plays. Like, God forbid James Harden never, like, play any sort of way off the ball coming off a screen or, like, backdoor cutting or something like that. I mean, he's such a good, talented player. What does it look like for him to be facilitated by others and not have to create every single shot himself? So I'm hoping he gives himself over to that a bit, and maybe they won't be the worst team to watch in the NBA. Yeah, um, I agree, and it's funny because the feelings I have about 
um, the lobs to Porzingis, I have the exact opposite feelings about the lobs to Clint Capella. I'm like, this shit is boring. <laughs> I've seen it a million times. Everyone knows what you're yep. going to do. And then when Kristaps is getting one, I'm like, oh my God, where did that come from? Like, you guys are magical together, you know? So I just think that for, I agree, the, the Rockets, it feels like they're running the same three plays all the time. And there's not a lot of mixing it up. And Westbrook is kind of like the king of like, what will he do next? And that's, that's yeah, a good knows? ingredient. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah. And um, as he says, I think his thing is like, why not? Isn't that his hashtag? Why not? Yeah. That's um, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Brody or whatever. So he's like, why not? Yeah. So I think that is maybe, maybe that's like the, the, um, the missing ingredient to sort of like liven things up a little bit, but not that that has always been like the, the ingredient that's been successful. Um, but we'll see. So I, I think that's an important point. Definitely. Um, I'm so excited to follow up on these crushes slash, um, uh, teams that are points of anger <laughs> later on yeah. in the season. And so yeah, I kind of, he's, he's injured right now, but, um, yeah, I can't wait till Trey Young gets back because I think he's really. Oh, yeah. uh, the Hawks are another one of my teams that I kind of am feeling this year. So I hope they uh, can kind of keep it sharp while he's while he's out for like a handful of games. Yeah, I agree. I think I I saw I've I've just seen maybe like one full game of theirs, and it was preseason against the Knicks, and it was Vince Carter nailed like four threes in a row or something. Oh, and I was oh, like. And they're like the bench yes. is going crazy. I I just I think that this, the Hawks have like a good storyline. Like having this this player that's been in the league for so long. And I just I think that like they're an exciting team, not because of Trey, but also because of like what like the sort of power that that Vince Carter has. Yeah, what an interesting career. Totally. What, what the, yeah, the idea that he, this longevity. I hear he has he's another one of these like extremely disciplined players that does the same thing kind of every single day, and yeah. especially on game days. Um, the idea that he embraced this role player from going to be from going from being the most famous player in the NBA to almost prematurely adjusting to being a role player, yeah. and then how that has elongated his career so long. Um, there are multiple people on his team that were not alive when he was in the NBA, oh which is gosh. crazy. <laughs> <gasps> wow, I never did that math. That's amazing. Yeah. I did. It's, oh, it's my gosh. Wild, yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I was thinking the other day when the Lakers were playing, someone was saying, like, yeah, Anthony Davis was 15 when LeBron – it was like, oh, what was it? He was, like, 15 – I don't know. He went to LeBron's camp. Yeah, he yeah, went, he to, went LeBron's to LeBron's camp. Like, yeah. like summer basketball camp. So I love those storylines. And like the, the same thing with like Luca playing against LeBron when he's like, LeBron was my hero growing up. It's like, what? You just took a shot like, over him, you know? Like, this is great. Yeah, this is LeBron amazing. was like in high school when I was in high school. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I, I just, I really, I think that that's, that his, like, what could be a liability, like Vince Carter's age, and it is kind of a liability. It also is his power. Like now he's, it's like, what can he not do still, you know? And yeah. um, I I love that. And I think also it shows that like, if you're willing to adjust, you can 
play the game that you say you love for a really long time. If your body holds up, if you're willing to give up what is like, and I'm not trying to like sort of subtweet Carmelo Anthony right now, but I feel like I am subtweeting him a little bit just because I'm like, Hey, you had a hard time with saying, you know, this idea of like coming off the bench and now that's like a part of your legacy and now you're not playing. Um, Whereas. Yeah. It's, it, it's definitely, I mean, Carmelo's in the conversation. I'm sorry to jump in there. Please. But it's like, I bet it's, it's weird how no one's even giving him the opportunity to kind of backtrack on it. It's like, oh, you said you didn't want to come off the bench. So we kind of see you as a difficult player. And now we never right. want you anywhere near us. It's like, there's somebody, there's some team that Carmelo Anthony can play for. Like, come on now. Yes, I think, and also this idea of, like, not being able to, like, he, I mean, I think it is a part of his legacy, in part because we don't allow for adjustment. It's like, oh, you said this, yeah. and, like, that's who, that's who you are. I, I was listening to a podcast a couple months ago, The Edge of Sports. Do you listen to that? It's, like, the nation's no, podcast. No. Um, I mean, it's, it's, like, always kind of, it's, like, politics and sports. Um, and there was a player that was being interviewed, who I'm forgetting the name of, but he was basically saying that, like, Carmelo Anthony is like in the nation of Islam and like that's a part of the reason he's being pushed out of the league and it was wow. it was like an aspect a narrative that I had not heard yet as far oh, as the I, story I I mean I believe that wholeheartedly like that, this, there's a long history of I mean because it just comes down to I mean I don't want to be that cynical person or that kind of conspiracy theorist but there's like a long history of players like if I mean, if we go back to Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf, who we were talking about earlier, of like converting to Islam, or I mean, obviously the most famous player that converted to Islam is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and because he's an all-time great and like one of the two best players of all time, like obviously he was able to kind of weather whatever yes. probably discrimination he because people were able to look past it. But if you already have one foot out the door kind of makes it a little easier for people to give you that next bit of a nudge to stay out. I don't know. Yeah, and what happens if you are not one of the all-time greats as far as just, like, you're kind of just... Yeah. I mean, of course, like, Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf had all this potential, I think, that we, like, didn't get to... I mean, he he was a great player, but he wasn't... It, it's... I think we didn't get to see as much from him as, as could have been in the NBA. Um, sure. But, like... What if Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had announced that he was converting to Islam and changed his name and then was a bad player? Like, I mean, that would just show, like, so many of those, like, was not as powerful and dominant and amazing. Like, that could have really been, like, what ruined his career in the eyes of, or how it was treated um, by by the media. And yeah, I mean, the, yeah. it's definitely, like, a a theory that we can't really confirm, but it doesn't, I wouldn't put it past, put it past you or any kind of organization. I don't no. know. Yeah. So I just, that was an interesting thing. I mean, I have to, I'll text you the name of the player cause he's also writing a book and I think he was also kind of pushed out of the league for, for some reason, but I'm forgetting the reason. Um, and so he's got, he's got a lot to say and, um, this was one of those things and I was like, Whoa. And then he brought up that, you know, um, Carmelo was, you know, at the front lines of the protests in Baltimore when Freddie Gray was killed. And, oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, just that also, like, you know, LeBron opening a school in Akron as a part of his activism being it versus, like, you know, marching in what some people 
like, you know, this, like, what are people threatened by, um, uh, on like the mass scale, like what sort of activism actions are people, do people think of as sort of subversive or radical? And yeah, like what is your, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like that what Carmelo, Carmelo's version of that is, is feels like a little bit more, um, extreme. Yeah. Or it's like when, like what, in my brain, that's kind of the Colin Kaepernick calculus and the fact that it's like, what point does your, whatever you are as a package become something that people don't want to deal with that outweighs whatever potential mm-hmm. talent or good you could bring. And it's like, what is that calculus that these businesses are doing? Cause there's some, there's some level of productivity that would make Carmelo an asset. And it's like, how is that interacting with whatever the packages that people believe he is socially or personally um, yeah, I don't, I, I hate thinking about that kind of calculus of like, Ooh, am I presenting myself well enough? Right. Like, are my politics something that's going to keep me out of these doors or, yeah, I mean, I, overall, I think he's, he's going to be fine. Like, I think he's a smart guy. Like, I think he's going to be successful in whatever he chooses to do next. But I, I do think there was, for somebody as great as he is to just be kind of disappear without a a whisper from the NBA is a little frustrating, especially like him being from Baltimore and just kind of being somebody who was pretty important to me. Yeah. 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 We'll see. I see that. I have a personal question. What, yeah. how, how was Ta-Nehisi Coates? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was, yeah, it's been a good, it's been a good Baltimore week as far as, uh, oh, yes. um, yeah, I like, I called my mom, before I went to see Tanazi Coast speak, and I was like, "I'm going to see somebody from Baltimore," and she was like, uh, "Who is that?" And I was like, "There's like one person from Baltimore who's like famous, right?" <laughs> She's like, "Oh, Tanazi Coast." Like, okay, um, yeah, it was really good. He was in conversation with uh, Jasmine Ward, who's this uh, National Book Award-winning author who teaches at Tulane, based in Mississippi, between Mississippi and New Orleans. And, yeah, they just had a really good conversation about his new book. Um, yeah, she asked some great questions. They had, like, a really nice... He did a good job of flipping the questions back on her and it almost being this really nice kind of dual-person conversation, even though I'm pretty sure a lot of the people who were there, it was packed. It was at um, Temple Sinai, at this kind of... Um, historic synagogue uptown. Mm. Yes, and I think I've been to services there. Yeah, I it's went like to Yom Kippur. Every seat, every seat was full, wow. and the balconies <gasps> were full, which is which is interesting to me. Like, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure, in like a kind of quiet space, like over a drink or something at some kind of quiet bar, Tanasi Coast could kind of get open about like what does it mean to just have everything in your life flip to the point where mm. you're on a book tour and like huge venues are packed to hear you speak. It's like almost at least 50% of the people are there because it's like, Oh, I should go to this. Not because they're necessarily fully invested in whatever he's working on or talking about. Right. So what is that? What is that kind of flip of, 
important and relevant in your work mean for you as a creator? Um, yeah, like as an artist, what does it mean when people are buying your art because it's a thing of status and not because they actually sat in front of it and were like, wow, this is a really moving and important thing to me. I want to be a part of this or want to keep this around me. Uh, what does it mean when you just become like, oh yeah, the new ta Codes book is out. Um, so I'm pretty sure he would have some very articulate things to say about that in uh, a place with microphones that were a little less on. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. But overall, it was really cool to kind of hear them uh, talk through some of the stuff they were were thinking about as writers. One of the one of the coolest exchanges they had um, was so I don't, I don't know if you know too much about the book, but his book, The Water Dancer, is about it's basically like a book that takes place in like slave times. Harriet Tubman's a big figure in the book. Um, and Jasmine Ward asked ta Coates, um, like, do you ever feel kind of weird about making things about these subjects that are kind of hard to read? And Jasmine Ward herself writes these books that these kind of really kind of heartrending stories about kind of black people in Mississippi and these kind of really deep, dark stories. And yeah, they were just saying how they both, just as creators need to be honest and they understand if people can't go with them to these places and that's okay. Mm. And they both like had this shared moment where they admitted to themselves and admitted to each other uh, and admitted to this huge crowd that neither of them had seen uh, 12 years of slaves. So it was like, really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, I still haven't seen that. Like, I don't want to put myself through this. Right. And the fact that they're both still writing these stories that could be considered similarly heavy in a way, um, I thought that was, like, a really interesting and funny and poignant, um, like, dialogue. Yeah, and that there's, like, different versions of, like, what putting yourself through something means to different people um, is really interesting, too. Yeah, he, he's saying how his mom put down, there's like one scene in the book that gets like kind of dicey, and his mom just like put down the book and didn't pick it up. <laughs> wow, wow, yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. I really, one thing that I've enjoyed about seeing some, like YouTubing some of uh, him speaking is that like, I think he does a really good job at not answering questions or, or, or always saying when he doesn't know the answer to something saying, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I, I love that. Like, I think that's such a um, I think it's definitely like a response to be to living in a time where like we, we try to know everything and have an opinion on everything. And I think it's so um, ex- exciting to me that this person who is like masterful and uh, diligent and prolific is comfortable with being like, yeah, I don't know the answer to that or I don't know. Uh, like, you know, I remember as an example, this woman was like, how do we teach kids about some of these subjects that you're talking about? Or how can we like translate your book into a, you know, an academic setting? And he was like, I don't know. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, like you're not a teacher. Like he's not a teacher as of now. So it's like that, that's, that's, that's a skill set that he doesn't have. And I, and I love that he, he like kind of, he like plays to his strengths and it's, that's wonderful. Yeah. There's power in kind of knowing your limitations you know it's like the converse of what we were talking about with 
the NBA and certain kind of celebrities biting off a little bit more than they can chew politically. Um, I like that he has like one interview I listened to him, not in the, the one I saw in person, but one interview he was talking about how just in how his fame has risen, people just think that he's this intellectual and he's like, I'm not really this like quick thinker. Like I'm first and foremost a writer. So people come to me in conversation and they want me as yeah, I'll fix this or like some cool theory on this topic. Right. And it's like, I really just am able, my, my strength is in these things that I'm writing about and that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and it doesn't really spread everywhere. <laughs> exactly. And I think that I, I, I find that just so attractive in, in an expert to just be like, this is, I mean, he's an expert at what he does. I think because he's like a craftsman in a sense, but like this idea of just, of just being okay with and being honest about what, what you know, what you don't know and, and that there's willingness to learn as well. Um, yeah. So that's awesome. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It was a good night. It was was nice. It was packed. Oh my goodness. Good. Yeah. I love like the, um, re like using sort of places, spiritual, rooms and and buildings for like non non quote-unquote spiritual purposes even though like that sounds super spiritual in a sense to be in this like packed room and listening to this sort of incredible person speak about these really pertinent issues like that's spiritual as well but I love this idea that it didn't have to do with Judaism and it was in a Jewish space or you know how to how to repurpose those spaces yeah I think um yeah, the, ch- the church I go to every now and then in uh, New Orleans, I think, has done a really good job of being just a little bit more of a community space. And it's like, yeah, religious stuff does happen in here on Sunday, but we're part of this neighborhood and we want everyone to feel welcome in here. Yeah. Um, I think that goes very far to just, yeah, not being a part of why people hate religion. <laughs> right. Um, and that you have this you have access to the space and so the space should be should be used for for things all, all types of things of, of good things you know um were, were you at Tulane when Mickleen Thomas spoke yeah I was I went to that yeah yes. did you go to that yes so that was also a time that I felt very like there was power in that crowd size and there was power in the way people were like gathering around her and like sitting on the stage and everyone was trying to squeeze in to like hear her. I just, I, I felt that that was also just, I mean, I don't know exactly what it was like to experience what you did with Ta-Nehisi Coates, but that's what it's reminding me of this, like sort of, we just, it's so important to get in, you know? Yeah. That was a, that visually it looked like, I mean, I wasn't there obviously, but Visually, it looked like Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount and all these people just crowding around. Oh, yes. The, like, uh, the lady who was interviewing, Michaeline Thomas, uh, Mia Bagneris, was, was actually like one of my teachers, like artistry right. teachers at Tulane, like super, like super sharp, great person. Um, so the idea of these people like crowded around them sitting kind of cross-legged uh, around them on the stage, like packed in there. It was really funny. There is this point that kind of goes back to what I was saying about like the crowd, the crowd at the Tanas and Coats thing. It's like, how many people are there? It's like, is it just a thing to be at? Like, mm-hmm. is there something? Cause I felt like 
the this not the spectacle because neither Mia nor Micheline Thomas are like these kind of flamboyant people. Um, and they were just like very seriously talking about uh, what they were talking about. But it took so long to get the crowd settled right. and then they had to let people out. That they only really got to talk for like maybe 10 minutes. Like what gets lost in the bigness of an event? Mm. Like what, like is there something, would that have been a more kind of like poignant and powerful thing to have been at if Micheline Thomas wasn't as famous of an artist? As, I don't know. It seems weird to kind of. I'd be like, oh yeah, I wish I was a little less famous. Like that seems stupid, right. but um, yeah, it's like something was a little. It's like they were just really barely scratching the surface, and it was because the event got so big. Yeah, um, I um, appreciate that too. I think that yeah, with celebrity, I mean, in 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 I think art terms, McLean Thomas is for sure a, a celebrity. So like, what do you lose when? Um, when you, when there's no intimacy, um, yeah. And, and of course, like, why are people there? I I think that a lot of people like, and might, you know, want to, and it's just like, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates, it's, it, it could, he, his, his sort of, um, like you were saying, his celebrity and his work, how it's been sort of taken over by also like the mainstream um majority like white uh dominated media um also goes back to what we we're talking about with Nike like what we're you know wanting to read stuff that like like oh this is on the New York Times bestseller list like I need to read it you know rather than it being like um I don't know I just think it's tricky yeah and it's like uh, you're never quite sure if you're you're a part of that same thing. It's like, was I there because I really, like I've heard lots of Ta-Nehisi Coates interviews. Was I there because I felt like I was going to learn something new or was I there because I was like, oh, is it, yeah, I want to say that I was there and like, what, yeah, what is the, what are the motivations? Um, yeah, but overall, it was, I'm, I'm glad I went. We have been talking for three hours. This is ridiculous. Um, but it's. I felt like I knew that we were going to have so much to talk about because it had been so long. Um, so Yeah, the NBA never stops, uh, stops right. giving us uh, info. Basketball never quits. Um, okay, well, we'll talk soon. Abdi, thanks for making time. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Take care. You too. Bye. Yeah, have a good one. Bye.